Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday, it's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome to the Ringers Philly special. It's the Sixers pod. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined by Raheem Palmer. Raheem, happy Monday, man. I wanted a win. I wanted to come on talking about a W, but the Sixers go down to the Miami Heat. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about the Celtics game. We're going to talk about the Sixers post uh, all-star break, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm really disappointing loss tonight, but I wasn't really that disappointed with the loss. It just kind of felt like a schedule loss, if anything. Um, you know, coming off that big Celtics game, I mean, it's, it's just tough to, you know, manifest that same energy. So um, we, we're we going to get them again. We got them the on, Celtics on game. The Celtics game felt like it was like, forget playoffs, man. It felt like March Madness. It felt like it was an Elite Eight game or something like the. I wanted to start this. This is not like where most Sixers pods would probably go first, but I wanted to say off the top, can we just do a petition to have the city edition court be our court? Oh yeah, I mean the the spectrum theme like court is just I mean it's absolutely beautiful. I'm I'm not mad at that at all. I'm I'm really it not. just it feels like it was happening in a different building altogether. Granted, it was like Saturday night. It was the Celtics, yada yada. But man, it was just like it, it's such a beautiful basketball court. I don't really have an opinion about the Wells Fargo floor, but like. That is a great version of a basketball court. Yeah, I mean it does. It does feel very Philadelphian. I mean, just it takes me back to my childhood, honestly. So um, I'm not mad at that for sure. You know, I, I thought that that Celtics game. You want to start with Miami? You want to start with Boston? I guess we should start with Miami because Miami is the most recent thing, and we're going live after this, or we're recording yeah. right after this Miami game. Um, I guess I like you expected. I, I did not necessarily expect to win. I was hoping for one as like a bounce back, as a mental kind of emotional fortitude, show some backbone. You guys got it handed to you by Boston. It was a tough loss, but like, let's, let's get these, what is not a vintage heat team. And let's like take care of business. And I felt like the Sixers just kind of like let them 
they just spotted them six points for like the whole game, it seemed like. Yeah, I mean, when you look at that first half, it just felt like they were outworked. It felt like there was a hangover impact of that last game. I mean, when you saw the first half, I think the, the Heat had 18 more shot attempts. I mean, they just out, they offensive rebounded a lot better than they normally do all season. And it just felt like they just got outworked. And it's it's tough to beat anybody when you're allowing more shot attempts. Um, and I know that the Sixers actually shot better than the Heat. But, I mean, you know, it's just they spotted them that lead. And at some point, you know, it was a very slow-paced game. I think there was only 90 possessions in this game. And really choppy, very a lot of fouls, yeah. Yeah, so it just it just was one of those games where you could just kind of tell the Sixers weren't themselves. And, you know, the Heat, they like to muck up the game. They throw a zone out there, um, and the Sixers kind of just didn't know what to do. They had some turnovers coming out of t- timeouts. So just a, just an ugly game. Um, so it's just it's one of those games that you would like us to be able to win as a championship contender, um, and they just didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back to the Memphis game, that was a game where you're like, that's a signature regular season win for this team. Yeah. And there were signature moments. There was like MB blocking jaw. There's just the way that that team kind of like persevered in that game and came together and, and came back against Memphis, who were starting to do the hanging off the rim thing and like bench celebrations. And the Sixers like really took care of business and defended their home court. And then the Boston game is the Boston game. But tonight was one where... I had noted with interest this Embiid quote, which was sort of part of a larger statement that he had made that was a lot more nuanced than what I'm about to kind of aggregate here. Mm-hmm. But after the Boston game, Embiid, and they asked him about his the the shot he made from half court or from three quarters away at to, after time expired, and he was I think his line was it was it's the story of my life, you know, like kind of always coming up a a day late and a dollar short. Yeah, and I was like, I don't really like that. You know what I mean? Like, I love Joel. I'm not really trying to give him a hard time off some throwaway quote. But I don't want him to see himself as, like, the pre-World Series Red Sox. You know, always the bridesmaid kind of thing. Do you see what I'm saying? I see exactly what you're saying. Um, And it's more troubling to hear that in today's NBA because in today's NBA with superstars, that typically leads to, you know what, maybe we're not good enough. Get me out of here. And that scares me. (laughs) Well, it's just like... (sighs) I get it. I get what he was saying, mm-hmm. but I feel like that there is like this weird f- narrative, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, shaping around Embiid that like he's unlucky to have been on a team that has gone through so much personnel turmoil over the course of his prime. Yeah. He's unlucky to be playing in a league at the same time as Giannis and Jokic. So he's never going to win the MVP. And it's like, I don't know, man, like the guys who get considered for MVP, the guys who are in that real top five, which I think Embiid is in talent wise. They're the ones who are like, yo, we're not giving Miami a dub tonight. You know what I mean? Like I'm coming back out. And even though I'm tired from that Celtics game and emotionally exhausted from that Celtics game, I'm going to come out and I'm going to set the tone. And it was like the exact opposite. I thought Embiid was super sloppy in the beginning of this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, he definitely was. But I mean, you know, as we say that, I mean, before that Celtics lost, you know, they had the, they had that big win against the Grizzlies. They had the big win against the Cavs. They they had a ton of big wins, and you know, I think before that, where did they, they won five in a row? Um, so yeah, we're I, we're like the best team in the NBA since uh, you know, honestly, since Maxi started coming off the bench. But yeah. like, you know, we, we, there's like a now a significant chunk of the NBA season which the Sixers are the best, if not one of the best teams in terms of record. 
Yeah, I mean, what is it? I mean, they, they said on a broadcast we were twenty. We've won twenty seven out of the last thirty five games. If you include, yeah, tonight. that's that's a ridiculous. If you if you if you told any Sixers fan that, I'm not trying to. I'm really not trying to nitpick because I think actually yeah. when you get to the realm that we're in, yeah, you start looking at little things like that. And yeah. what I'm looking at is like, dude, I want the best player on this team. If we take a bad loss on the at home in a playoff series, like we lose game two of a series, I want Embiid to come back in game three and put up 40. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair to ask. I mean, when you're talking about a guy of his caliber who, I mean, is an MVP candidate and probably should, you know, have stolen. He probably should have one MVP at this point. Um, you know, if it wasn't for injuries or just wasn't for bad luck, he probably should have one. Um, I think it's fair to expect that. I definitely do. Um so as far as the Miami game goes, uh, it had to be Butler at the end. It had to be Jimmy with the the reverse layup and then getting that foul. Um, I you know didn't love the end of game execution, but Miami throws a lot of like junky defenses and like obviously kind of mm-hmm. mucked it up, like you said, so that Harden kind of a, a real weak sauce final attempt from him where he like tries that baseline floater, gets his own rebound. Uh, dribbles it out into sort of like midcourt collapses then Embiid kicks it out to Harden on the final possession for a game winner instead of a game tying shot just out of curiosity like it's the regular season are you are you all for like take the game winner let's let's get out of here um I I expect or do you want to see Embiid finish that against him bam yeah I'm gonna be honest with you I expected Embiid to just find a way to get to the line that's kind of what I wanted to see but you know, him dishing off to, to Harden for, I mean, Harden got a really good look. I mean, if you, if you yeah. told me that's that's the look that we're going to get, i take that 100 times out of 100. But I, I I did, you know, I have my I have my issues with some of the, the late game, game execution at times. Sometimes I want to see Harden a little bit more involved. But, I mean, I think, you know, tonight, I mean, that last shot is probably one of the better shots that I've seen. I mean, a lot of times we go isolation post up with NB 15 feet from the basket and it's just like we have no chance. Um, so I can't complain about tonight. Embiid was in foul trouble for a lot of the night. And I thought Harden did a good job keeping us afloat along with Maxi, obviously, who we'll get to in a second. But I was kind of curious mm-hmm. to see the version of the end of the game had, had Embiid fouled out with like five minutes to go. To see what like the full Harden experience would have been like at the end of the game. Yeah, I think I definitely think that would have been interesting. Um, I mean, especially considering that Maxi also fouled out as well. So yeah, I mean, I think, but I mean, we were we were then, in we, then we get into D- Daniel House hours right there. <laughs> we would have been in a, in a world of trouble. I mean, Tobias was. I mean, we thought that he tore his Achilles at one point in time. And yeah, that was D- Doctor Chris may have come in with a, a <laughs> like a little bit of a premature diagnosis. But I, when the way that the broadcast made it sound was like. Harris isn't moving. Harris is looking at his leg. And I always hate when dudes look at their legs. Yeah. Because that's always the Achilles. Like the guy is standing there, but is like, I can't move my foot. Kind of like, you, you know what I mean? Like I, I've never obviously injured my Achilles, much less torn it. But yeah. when I remember when KD did that, like whenever you see a dude do his Achilles, he's always kind of confused more than he is in agony. Yeah. It's, I mean, as I, I sent you guys a text, I mean, those of you guys listen, um, some of you guys might know last year when I posted about how I tore my calf. Um, I had like a grade three tear. I couldn't walk for a couple of weeks. So I have a little bit of experience and, you know, noticing the difference between the Achilles and the calf. So when I saw him grabbing his calf up like high, 
I just kind of I was like, oh, it's not Achilles, and then he he kind of limped off. Um, so I wasn't that concerned, but I just I didn't think he would come back in the game. Um, ha- but yeah. have you ever thought about like if gambling doesn't work out, becoming like a Twitter doctor? Just being one of those dudes who's like diagnosing guys' injuries for from afar. Oh no, I, I would I would be no good at that. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be good at it at all. Um, these I don't are think you need any credentials. Athletes. You just have to call yourself Doctor Raheem Palmer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody's gonna really check. <laughs> I just have I have two I have had two bad injuries in my life. I broke my arm having a steel cage match when I was a kid, and I had to torn calf. So <laughs> where where did you get the steel cage as a child? So we were on like we were like it was a it was a gate, and, okay. and it was like wet outside, and I slipped off the gate. <laughs> Man, um, and your your calf though you're all fully recovered. Yeah, I'm fully recovered. I mean that was like a long recovery. I had to do rehab, and I was like scared to go back to the gym. But once I got back and I got going, it was like I'm back. I'm back like I never left. <laughs> you had to shake the demons off, man. You had the the ghosts of your injuries past following you around the gym. Um, Let's just talk a little bit about some positives to take from these two losses because I feel like mm-hmm. I want to be a little bit more optimistic because, you know, one of the things that was really interesting coming out of the Boston loss was I think there was an initial, I had some uh, unpublishable text messages that I sent right after that loss, mm-hmm. but uh, there was then like this correction where people were like, you know what, man, like that's, and, and Embiid said this too, that's basically where we want to be is yeah. like, give us a chance at the end of a game. We don't want to get like, blown out of the building by Al Horford's career night from shooting beyond the arc or whatever. And like just getting smoked. Like we really did stick around. We came back, we gave up a lead, but we also came back and I, we had a, we had a chance at the end of the game and that's a great shot that Jason Tatum made and watching it over and over again. Like, you know, you could, you could say like Melton got a little bit lost there, but like he did a pretty decent job of guarding that. Like it, it is Jason Tatum at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, what are some some positives you can take from the Boston loss or the Miami loss? Your choice. I, I'm going to be honest with you. The biggest positive for me is that this Sixers half-court offense, half-court defense, is they're elite. And I don't think people necessarily recognize that. I mean, when you look at the half-court defense, they're fifth in half-court defense. They're allowing 95 points per one to possessions. And the one thing that I saw in that Celtics game, and, you know, the Sixers, they had a, a huge lead throughout most of the game, but... A large part of that Celtics comeback was the Sixers. They're turning the ball off, over on offense. The Celtics are getting out in transition, and they're scoring. And and you saw in that game, the, the Celtics had 8.1 points added per transition. That's like in the 87 percentile of all NBA games this season. And they got on transition 21% of the time. Like, that's in the 92nd percentile of all NBA games. And you notice in that fourth quarter when, you know, Celtics were up 10. And we came back mm-hmm. and took the lead. When we stop turning the ball over, when we're scoring, we're not allowing teams to get in transition, the Celtics, they had trouble scoring. So, and I just think if we can just keep it a half-court game, as much as we, we, we might say that the Celtics are our kryptonite, I think we can hang with them. I don't think they are our kryptonite anymore. I mean, it's not like, mm-hmm. it's not like I have any evidence to suggest otherwise based on this regular season. But I thought that was one of the first times that I watched a Celtics-Sixers game and was like, Joe Missoula has to figure something out because he has no answer for Embiid. So yeah. he can either go small and spread us out and like kind of leave Embiid in limbo and, and just try to shoot the lights out. But if he tries playing like Horford and Smart, like even even like a bigger lineup can't take care. I thought Embiid just had had did whatever he wanted against Horford. You're talking about the turnovers though. Where do you see the the blame lying? Like, do you think that that's too much Embiid? 
far away from the basketball handling. Like mm-hmm. statistically, like I'm, I, I'd actually, I'd like to see it because I don't that, have that, it in front that, of me. You just, you just, you just reminded me of what I was thinking about. Um, it's really the second unit. That's that's well, a big. I'm, that was the big issue in that game. Um, that well, this is that's on my list of things to, to be <laughs> negative about. I have, we're doing positive. But yeah, we're we, doing positive. We, but I, I think you know the fact that when you look at if we're going to play this team in the playoffs, because that's really all that matters. Mm-hmm. Embiid is going to play more than forty minutes. He just is. Um, so I mean, we're looking at you know if this is a seven game series. I mean, he might be playing 42, 44, 45 minutes. Um, and you just gotta find, you know, some, you just gotta find a way to fill fill those gaps in those bench minutes, which I think it's it's very possible. Um, and I think you know Harden will be playing more too. So if you look at Joel Embiid in that game, he was a plus eight. You look at James Harden, he's a plus nine. Our our starters can hang with their starters. It's just a matter of filling those bench units, and I think that's the positive thing that I got from that game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, but like when when you're looking at the turnover battle specifically, mm. did you think that there was something that the Sixers did as an adjustment, whether it was keeping the ball in Harden's hands more or because I, I always kind of feel like anecdotally, there's like this play that happens five times a game where Embiid is trailing the point guard, essentially coming yeah. up the court and then Embiid gets the first touch of the set at the top of the key because he's kind of like he's trailing the entire play. And Embiid on the perimeter, regardless of how you feel about his three-point shooting or whatever, it's just like Embiid kind of being stuck out outside of the paint is where I feel like that's where dudes start to get slap happy with him about going after the ball. And he's maybe looking to pass out of a double and doesn't see someone coming for the ball or whatever. And that's where his turnovers come from. Do you think that that was more of an issue or do you think it's that we just don't have enough secure ball handlers across the, the board? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and then I also think, you know, because of our, our personality, you got Harden and Embiid, they kind of jog back up the court. So, I mean, a yeah, lot they're of not exactly you, like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that first one is the, the first thing you said was like a real issue. I think there was a play in the third quarter where, you know, I think Jalen Brown actually like he helped off his defender and, you know, he just picked it. He just either picked, it was either James Harden or um, Joel Embiid. He just completely picked him and just ran up the floor for a dunk. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like, yeah, it was Jalen. Yeah. <laughs> one of, one of the two or three plays where Jalen Brown looked like Michael Jordan in that game, which yeah, I Yeah. And it just, it just was, I mean, stuff like that can't, I mean, as, as long as stuff, we could just clean stuff up like that. And I think those, those plays are fixable. Okay. So I'll be optimistic then since mm-hmm. we're talking, <laughs> 
<laughs> we, we kind of got lost in the turnover. I'm sorry. I, you know, it's okay. I'm trying to be I, optimistic, it, but because I, I think the re- the blueprint and the recipe is there. I, I, just, I, I agree with you. I agree mm-hmm. with you. And I think Embiid in it, I think Embiid looked like the best player on either team last on, against Boston. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that was truly like, I thought he was superior to Brown and Tatum. I thought he could do what he wanted against Horford. I, I know that Horford couldn't miss from three point, but like I thought that the, that that was one of those examples where he gives us a chance to win any game against Boston. Yeah. Um, I also thought that across the two games, across the Boston and the Miami game, I was just really pleasantly surprised by Toby in the Boston game and then Maxi coming back after a lot of doubt coming mm-hmm. out of that Boston game and being like, is this dude, is this dude who we thought he was? Is this guy going to be able to contribute? What's going on with him coming off the bench? And for him to come in and play against like this against Miami, who, you know, all jokes aside, are not an easy team to play against. And and Maxi was probably the highlight of the night for me tonight. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you look at Maxi, I mean, honestly, like in the month of February, he hasn't been himself. Um, I think he's like 42% shooting, 15 points a game. Um, for him to bounce back and respond the way he did tonight was very encouraging. Um, we all know that, you know, like defensively, him and Harden are going to have problems meshing. Um, so putting him on that second unit was, I mean, even though his stats have dropped, it's better. it's been better for the team. Um, and I think tonight was the first time, you know, all like, throughout the entire month of February where you actually kind of saw him, you know, get into his role and actually play well. Um, you know, I want to get back to that, that Celtics game. Um, mm-hmm. And the one thing that kind of stood out to me is that you look at the last two games against Jason Tatum, he's averaged, he, he's only averaged 16 points against us. Now, Tatum? a lot of people, yeah, like he had 12 points in the last game. Well, he's home. pretty, I mean, he's tired from All-Star. You know, he really exerted himself to score the 50, <laughs> the 56. <laughs> Launch the sneaker, you know what I mean? Like priorities. I think a lot of people are going to say, "Oh yeah, Tatum's going to have a better game than that." But um, it, do you think that's maybe a trend that maybe we're just doing a good job on him? Well, I think that it's one of those things where I would have to go back and watch. And I'm not like the biggest like defensive expert by any means, mm-hmm. but I wonder whether it's like Doc kind of being like, "We'll, we'll let everybody else but him beat us," and we we like our chances if that's happening. Well, I mean, we don't we saw, like because we, we saw that in the first game. They doubled yeah. so much off of Tatum. I mean, they they doubled Tatum so much that you know Blake Griffin got going. Um, yeah, and I think you saw in this last game where Horford got going. But the fact that you know we're limiting Tatum like this, I, I I think it's very encouraging. I thought it was encouraging too. I mean, I thought that we could get into the tactical stuff now because there was a lot of criticism on both sides. Like Bill was fuming about Missoula and his timeout management. And I think that um, there was a lot of, okay, so this is what our playoff team's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Talk around Doc and like the lineups and the, the bench, mm-hmm. but specifically PJ playing the backup five, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of like the right decision, but the wrong process to get to that decision, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Because yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but we still have three backup fives. Yeah. Besides PJ Tucker, yeah, I mean, I've definitely noticed. I mean, <laughs> obviously, we brought we brought in Deadman, and you know, I, we just haven't seen we haven't seen him really. <laughs> yeah, so there's Deadman, there's Montrez, and then Paul Reed, who has the the quickest hook in the NBA, seemingly. Yeah, I mean, at least he's getting minutes at this point, which is you know, y- yeah, and he looked okay tonight. Him. I thought, yeah. yeah. 
we were complaining about him not playing at all. So the fact that he's actually, you know, he's he's playing basketball at this point, um, and he's living up to his nickname, that feels good. Um, which which we talk about next? I guess like I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Harden experience over these last couple of days, mm-hmm. because. Uh, go ahead. Before we get to that, what did you think of Jalen McDaniel's not being in the game for that last possession? I'm glad you asked. Uh, in not being in the Miami game. For the last no, possession, you mean for the for the Boston game? For the Boston game, um, I think that this is my my issue right now. I've because I've, I've been thinking about this, watching uh, a lot of the teams that made a bunch of trades and got a, like basically redid their rosters uh, since all, uh, since the trade deadline. So I was like watching the Clippers. I was watching like a a bunch of these teams that have gotten kind of new guys in. Watching the Lakers, and it almost feels like the media speculation around trade deadline mm-hmm. brought about a really active trade deadline. But in truth, bringing a bunch of new dudes onto your team in the middle of the season is incredibly difficult to pull off. And yeah. that like, I think, I think that like doc's a huge trust guy. And mm-hmm. if doc could play Harden and bead Melton and two PJ Tuckers, he would do it. Because <laughs> like he's just gonna always be like, I want a veteran who knows exactly where he's supposed to be, and even if he's athletically maybe uh, less than the McDaniel's, like I just want a dude to know where he's gonna be. What did What did you make of it? Um, I thought there was some politics involved. Um, How so? I mean, I love James Harden, but I see no reason if you need to stop, you need him out there. Yeah, like to go offense defense with him. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, sometimes you want to appease your star player. But to me, if you bring in this huge wing and you're playing the Celtics and they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I see no reason why he's he shouldn't be out there. <laughs> so Cliff was mentioning to us in the chat that we that we that there wasn't a timeout left to make that substitution. No, but the but, thing is the thing is we used the foul to give. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, we used the foul to, and actually right. we used the foul to give a little bit too early. Um, oh, let me let me explain myself. Here comes Cliff off, off the top, top rope. Yeah, I, I I just want to explain myself real quick. <laughs> and what I meant by that is, he, we did have the foul to give. You could have made that that sub to take Harden out. But what I'm saying was, is that um, mm. uh, on that final possession, they needed uh, Harden to be in there just in case, like a heave, <laughs> a possible heave could happen. Mm. You know, after the Celtics were to score, because then there wasn't any timeouts left. Is what I'm saying. Uh, I, mean- I see. I, I feel that, but you know what? It was only like five seconds left. So it was like, it, it felt like the Celtics were going to just use. We're going to milk it down. Yeah. yeah. They were going to milk it down no matter yeah, what. Yeah, because Embiid's shot was what? Was like 0.8? Like, was there a little bit more time? I think there, for... was, there was 1.8 left. No, 1.1 okay. 1. 1 or something like that. Yeah. He, he took a dribble. Like, he took he turned around, yeah. took a dribble, left his hands like point like a half a second too late. Yeah. Hmm. I That's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, though, Reem. Yeah. is hardened politics and whether or not like in in real tight playoff games doc ever is like you know what i'm gonna go my defense line up here yeah. and then we'll switch back out because i can't remember if that's ever happened to harden before because he's had such a strange career like it would obviously never really happen in houston yeah uh and then in brooklyn like he was so erratic like they like i feel like they were I'm, only I'm 16 sure, I'm, I'm sure it happened in philly i'm pretty sure they've taken him out but i can't remember like i'm I, just, I mean, I this is the kind about, of stuff that they're going to need to do, though. They're like, they like, this is the chess match stuff, and it's like Harden is not an elite defender. Like, he doesn't need to be on the floor 
if we've got McDaniels here, and this is also like, I guess like you get it to tax purposes stuff, but like this was an argument for keeping Matisse. Yeah. I always think about, there was a Christmas Day game um, right after the Cavs won the championship. And Steve Kerr took Steph Curry out of the game to guard Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. I mean, ends up hitting the shot on Clay anyway. <laughs> but the entire time, Steph Curry's on the bench with the towel over his head. And you can tell he's just, oh, yeah. he's, like, he's devastated. He's hurt. Um, and it made me think Dudes about, in the top 10 do not think of themselves as, like, not two-way players. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> dudes are that good yeah. or not. Like, oh, yeah, I'm really bad at defense. Yeah, I mean, to, to make it to the NBA, you got to have a rational confidence. Um, but it made me think that there's, and I never seen Steph, I never seen Steve Kerr make that move ever again. Um, at least with Steph Curry, um, and it made me think about the politics that goes into a lot of these moves. And a lot of times we think, you know, take this guy out, take this guy out, but you still have to appease the star player in the modern NBA. So let's just kind of go over what we we kind of we 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 were into the. The number three guy in separate dudes kind of stepping up in each game. Love love Tobias and mm-hmm. against Boston. Love Max against Miami. It's two losses, but it's all right. Mm-hmm. I don't think either of us are crazy about how Harden and Embiid played down the stretch against mm-hmm. Miami. Um, I think there could have been more precision to the execution. I mean, I think that the big thing for the Sixers is really like beginning of game and end of game execution. Yeah. You know, not coming out flat and spotting a team. And then at the end of games taking care of the ball because like obviously like you said like are basically like the turnover battle is where the Sixers will live or die because they have such a good half court defense if we can keep the teams out of transition we'll be successful um I think that I'm kind of like at peace with a lot of this stuff though honestly like mm-hmm. I think we you, you can listen to some of the pods that we've done over the course of the season and we're pulling our hair out and we're so like anxious about Doc and mm-hmm. upset and I was like I just feel like this is the best version of this team. It's yeah. probably the best Sixers team I've cheered for in a couple of years, in a long time, really, since Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that everybody is playing as well as they possibly I mean, this is as good as Tobias Maxi, Tobias Harris can play in that role. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and we, we've discussed ad nauseum, you know, how he's overqualified for the role, but he's still found a way to, you know, fit and hit timely shots, play good defense. So it's just like, I mean, you got to be happy with Tobias. You got to be happy with Maxi, And you got to think, I mean, this team was banged up for much of the year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just think this post all-star run and granted, it's a really difficult, it's a brutal schedule. I mean, it's really, I mean, this is the thing is that like, we're in a gauntlet right now. And you know, it's funny you should mention that because I was also looking at, mm-hmm. The Eastern Conference standings, and I, I don't, wouldn't go as far to say that the Sixers have number three locked up because I think Cleveland's frisky, but I do want to keep like Embiid and Harden's health like in the foreground going yeah. into the playoffs, especially after seeing what happened to LeBron. Lamelo mm-hmm. got hurt tonight. Like, there's still some injuries on all sides. That I mean, like the LeBron, like Giannis hurt his knee just the other night. You know what I mean? Like. Different things can happen over the course of the the re- end of the regular season that will c- completely determine what happens in the postseason. Oh yeah, I mean, it's a. I always say the NBA playoffs and the road to the championship. It's a war of attrition, and at the end of the day, yeah. it's you got to keep your guys healthy. I mean, and you know, for as great as Boston and Milwaukee they look right now, um, we saw it last year, um, and this is why, like I. Everybody kills me for this, but I, I feel like Brooklyn should have kept their team together because, I mean, we saw last year 
the Bucks look primed for a back-to-back championship, and then Chris Middleton gets hurt. So it's just a lot can change. And I mean, when I look at the Celtics team, they're they've been banged up all year. All year yeah. they've they've had somebody go out for a specific period of time, and now they've weathered the storm. But I mean, who's to say that that's going to be the case in the playoffs? So I definitely want to keep Harden and, and be healthy. I think you mentioned this on a previous pod. We want to be able to get in and out of some of these games, you know, keep their minutes low. So where, you know, you don't have to play NB 40 minutes a game. Um, we need to wrap. Well, this is the thing with the new NBA, man, though. It's just like I just don't even feel like 17 point spreads are really like anything to get excited about. So I'm always like, yo, if if we're up 17 or down 17, like we could get back in it. The other team, could, I, I feel like there are no there's no breathing room to have like an easy going, like let Embiid sit the fourth quarter night. Yeah. I mean, that's so true. <laughs> so it's the Sixers uh, are going down to Miami on Wednesday. They have that game, uh, revenge game against Miami. I'd love to see them them get after it. And then they have a back-to-back. They go to Dallas for Thursday. So that's going to be a really, really tough little road trip that they're t- taking here because it goes Miami in Miami on Wednesday, in Dallas on Thursday, and at the Bucks on Saturday. We're gonna. Uh, end up, so, I, I can see we're gonna rest somebody for one of those one of those first two games because. Well, you know what? I hope I hope we get to see like the real dudes against Luca because I I love a I love like a kind of Western Conference test for this team and they they certainly responded well on their West Coast trip before. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Is that a TNT game though? Um, the, the that's Thursday night. Yeah. So it, yeah, I bet it is. If that's a TNT game, it's just. I mean, it it's TNT. Puts, because, I mean, that would be the ideal rest spot, I guess. Um, well, you know what's going to be the ideal rest spot is after the game in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be snowing in Philly this week, right? Like, I'm sure Harden's going to be like, I need a night off, Doc. You know, I mean, this week is actually big for MB, M, um, MVP chances. Um, when you when you think you got, you got two national TV games, one against Luka, one against Giannis. I mean, this could... This yeah, but dude, every scales, single right? time I'm like, maybe he's tipped the scales like when he took Jokic out in person, like one-on-one. It's like Jokic puts up another like 38, 19, and 11 night. Like, it, it, it's like if you're just going by numbers, it's so obscene. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that game against the Clippers was just... <laughs> and if they win the Western Conference, like if they're the best team in the Western Conference and he's putting up these numbers, it's going to be really hard to argue with it, even if I'd like to, you know? I think Giannis yeah. is now going to have missed too much time. But yeah, I, hopefully, hopefully Giannis plays that game. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I, we got a good, we got a good, we got, got some good Sixers games coming up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would, maybe we can go, we can do something on Friday after the Dallas game so that we can yeah. chat a little bit about it. I'm, I'm definitely not going to podcast after another Miami game. I really don't want to play Miami in the playoffs, man. I don't either. I'm, I'm be honest with you. I, I just, I'm not a believer in Miami. I just I'm not a believer, but I don't. I I do think that there's just like too much bad juju with that team when it comes to the Sixers. Yeah, but you. I mean, you know what? Though sometimes you gotta over. You gotta you gotta overcome that juju to go to where you want to go. <laughs> that's right, man. That's that's very Star Wars of you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> now um, I don't want. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't want to play the Celtics. That's a team that you know. If we could just get somebody else to beat them. We're fine. <laughs> that would be that would be great if we got Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference Finals. That would be wonderful. Uh, Raheem, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Cliff Augustine is our producer. As always, we will be back. Let's say Friday morning, talking about the the two games that the Sixers had this week. We'll see how many of those Embiid and Harden wind up playing. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.